Jeff is gone, so we have Mitch Harper here. Welcome to Give Him Hell Burger, Mitch. Man, I feel good. It feels good to be here, Garrett, uh, to be here finally on, on Give Him Hell. Uh, man, I, I I am excited to be on on this show and, and to fill in for Jeff Hansen for a week. That's big shoes to fill, so I, I, got, a, I got a tall task in front of me. Are KSL employees allowed to say hell, or are you going to get in trouble for that one? <laughs> That's a good question, but no, we, we can say hell. Uh, you know, it, it can happen. Uh, it's it's in the scriptures, right? So give me a word that I can say. Give them hell. Let's go. Let's give them hell, Brigham. Okay, there we go. I think we're good with that. So what is, I was thinking about this today, actually. I realized that it's been five years since the Nebraska game and that the first time you and I ever met each other was in Lincoln. We were at a sports bar in Lincoln. And then we met again the next weekend and we went to dinner that Friday night in Vegas before the UCLA game. And then we went to we're up in the we had those uh the box seat in at the yes. Rose Bowl and you met us there at the pregame when we had the box seats in the Rose Bowl for that UCLA game so it's it's been a long time you know it's you know five years went by seems forever but now looking back it seems like that was just yesterday I know it really does it's it's insane and, and that that opening stretch of that season in 2015 it's like you think of the the travel the cool matchups and that was a special time, honestly, when you look back on it. And BYU was ranked, and you look compared to this year where BYU's ranked again, sure, great, but uh, not seeing as many games as frequently as we would like in the first month of the season. But, uh, yeah, it's been five years. Pretty crazy. That, that Vegas pit stop was a lot of fun. What We saw Pierre, uh, Goober Gus. Yeah, I came, da- yeah, I came down with Pierre. Gus. We actually um, – Pierre and I, or was that the bowl game? I don't remember whether it was the UCLA game or the bowl game. One of those, because we went and ate at that Maggiano's and that mall both times. Yes. One of the times we stayed talking so late that we got locked in the mall after everything else closed <laughs> and we couldn't get out. Isn't that amazing? Like how BYU sports bring, does truly bring people together. Like I, I, I credit a lot of my friendships and relationships with people because of BYU sports. I mean, you and I are friends because of BYU sports. Jeff and I, we formed a friendship via BYU sports. It's it's really an amazing thing. And I try to tell people that all the time. When, when BYU sports is clicking and, it's, and they're winning and they're having a ton of success, it is truly a magical thing. And it's, it's hard to describe what that does for this fan base because when Cougars are rolling, this is a fan base that goes all in. And it's, it's a really special thing. And those friendships, those bonds, those memories, those special games like Nebraska in 2015, they're just truly special times that rank up as some of the, the greatest days in your life. At least for, speaking for myself, I, I, those are just days I'll never forget. Experiences meeting you and, and Robbie and, and uh, Ryan. It's, it's stuff I'll never forget. And it's, it's something that's truly special. And that's why we, we do what we do on mediums like this. And uh, it's a lot of fun, man. I, I can't. Can't complain. I mean, we're still the little guys. You've obviously made it beyond, and you made it to the big times being on the beat for the um, the legacy home of the BYU Cougars, <laughs> right? You are. You may not be a legacy Cougar Club member, but you are a legacy media member. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I still I still keep true, stay true to my roots, though, and and understand that uh, you know I, I try to be a, a media member that gives the content that the fans want to know. I want the fans to feel like. You know, I, there's a there's a voice in that media uh, huddle or scrum that that wants to to give the content that fans want because, look, I mean, there's a lot of media members. They want to just have an agenda. They want to just have 
a certain story to fulfill. But a lot of the time I look at it from a standpoint of, I just want to give good info, precise, accurate info that fans care about. Because I think a lot of fans, Cougar fans listening, especially to this podcast, they want great info and they want to have uh, interesting tidbits of, of knowledge and information, but you don't need the long form stories. Like that, there's a place for that. And I, I want to do that as well. But, uh, you know, just having that uh, just good, precise, accurate information, but also package it in an entertaining way that Cougar fans can relate to because BYU fans are a unique entity. And there's some, there's, you got to embrace that. I know Jeff has always talked about that. Embrace the weirdness. And that's what makes BYU sports so special. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I view things, covering the team every single day for my job is I want to give info that fans care about because I've been on the other end where I'm begging for intel on something that just no one is providing. I'm like, give me the little minutia, just something, some, some tangible thing that just makes me so excited about the football team four years from now. I want to try to do that type of stuff all the time for Cougar fans everywhere. So that, that's kind of the way I, I approach my, my coverage of, of BYU sports. Well, that's awesome. Um, so I'm sure I know we've talked about this a lot in that group text that we have that we have our Hellion of the Week. So I think I'm going to nominate you as my Hellion of the Week just because I don't think a lot of maybe some of the people who have kind of followed your career the last few years, but you started out, I mean, I don't, I remember you started out, I think, well, you started out with the Cougar Center podcast with yep. Bean Mace, who you met in a BYU fan MySpace group, if I remember correctly. That's and then correct, eventually yes. you guys lived together and were roommates for a while, right? Before you got married. So you started the Cougar Center podcast way back in like, I don't know when you said 2010, 2009, yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. And at the time that was right when podcasts were first getting going. At one point it was one of the top 25 college football podcasts in the country. And then kind of eventually parlayed that into, you worked for ESPN 960 and Broadway Media for a while. And now you are at KSL. So you, you are living the dream and you deserve to be recognized as our hellion, not <laughs> so much of what you've done this week, but of, you know, what you've done over the last, I mean, it's kind of a decade coming now getting to where you're at. And so props to you. Do you have anything that's, you know, something that stood out to you this week of something that you thought like, man, that's just awesome. And this, that person or whatever that group deserves to be recognized for whatever yeah. they're doing in the world could be sports well, related or completely not. Yeah, I mean, first off, Garrett, thanks for, for that. Uh, I mean, to get a Hellion of the Week. I, I've been listening to the show, and to get Hellion of the Week nominee, that, that's pretty big time. I'll, I'll be putting that uh, – maybe might not be as big as uh, an old Chappie Award back in the day. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. It's, uh, it's bigger. Getting the Hellion of the Week honor is a, is a great thing. But, I, you know, I think as far as my Hellion of the Week, I was thinking about that coming in to the show. And, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking – to myself and uh, you know I, I feel like I want to get I want to say Tom Homo uh, because I feel like I, the work that he's done with this schedule and I know that people have mixed reviews of Tom Homo and some would want him fired others want feel like he's the greatest AD on earth but man, I feel like if you're on those extremes you just got to be coming into the middle a little bit because you got to be happy with what's going on with BYU's football schedule and I know Tom is a guy that's always been willing to embrace the hellions of the BYU fan base saying, yeah, we know there's a, a bearded and beer drinking crew in the BYU fan base, the bearded drinkers. Uh, you know, Tom's always been good about that. And I think that he's done a nice job with navigating this, this football schedule for BYU and getting the games that they've added. I mean, adding law tech on short notice, that was a nice ad. And I think college football junkies 
like you and I, Garrett, who can appreciate the, the beauty of any college football matchup, can love a, a BYU La Tech game on Friday night before general conference. That's, that's pretty sweet for the casual fan. Hopefully they can appreciate that amidst the pandemic. But i got to give my nominee to Tom Holmo. I just think that what he's done with this schedule on short notice, it needs to be commended. And I think it sets the stage for BYU that if they do run the table, potentially they might be able to get the benefit of the doubt from, you know, things like the playoff committee or at a minimum the national pollsters and the rankings and, and get attention that this program just hasn't seen in quite some time and maybe end up in bowl games with high payouts that can maybe – overcome some of the, the, the financial shortcomings that are going to happen because of this pandemic. Maybe you can close the gap a little bit with a big bowl appearance. So I think good things are happening with BYU football. And I think that, you know, Tom Homo deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in this pandemic. I know it's tough to lose that Army West Point game, but still, I think that BYU football has been doing some really good things while everyone else is not playing. Homo's shown some leadership throughout all this. Yeah, I I agree with that one. And I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, talking about like, you know, the playoff and obviously it's, I never see BYU fans talk about BYU making the playoff, but I always see Utah fans talking about yes. BYU fans talking. Mm-hmm. About so maybe I just don't follow those BYU fans, but the, you know, the playoff or even the NY six, you know, the strength of schedule obviously matters, but if you're beating teams 55 to three, you will get that benefit of that. And BYU has the brand to get the benefit of the doubt where it's like, okay, if your average margin of victory, it's it's really worse. If you don't have the strength of schedule, then style points have to come into play. And if you have that average margin of victory, this isn't the BCS where they throw out margin, like margin of victory is not part of the formula, right? It's when you're looking at a human poll, they're saying, okay, they're beating every team they play by 45 points. You know, they can't, if they're better than all those teams by 45 points, they can probably hang with someone who's got a little better record, but was winning their games, you know, 17 to 14, whatever. And so it will be interesting, and I think there is a potential there if you run the table to get into a New Year's Six game, and like you said. Um, but it looks like the Big Ten is poised to make an announcement tomorrow morning is kind of what the buzz. There was the initial hot mic comment from the Nebraska president or AD this morning, and then more news filtering out from some college writers, um, national writers like the Brett McMurphys of the world, and things saying that it's going to happen. So how, I mean, obviously that changes, that could change a wrench and throw a wrench into things. And if the Big Ten is back and in ready to go and can finish their season before the CFP thing, I think it really sucks for the American Conference because I think, you know, UCF, Memphis, and Cincinnati were really eyeing like, hey, if we run the table this year, like this could be our shot to be number four in that door and like, you know, really make a name for our conference. And But obviously the Big Ten coming back changes you know, the dynamics of that. I think they could still get easily, we'll still get two NY6 teams in. But what are your thoughts on the Big Ten coming back? And, you know, what do you think the Mountain West has apparently said that they are not going to, they're not considering it. The Pac-12 still hasn't said anything about anything. And same with the MAC. And I think the MAC could probably, might just be done as an FBS conference entirely and drop to FCS because <laughs> they have serious enrollment and financial issues across the board. But what do you think about the Big Ten coming back and how that's going to kind of affect the rest of the season? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. And I, I feel that, you know, Big Ten football, it, it, it does feel weird this year. I'll admit, uh, you know, watching these games, again, I can, I can enjoy a, a Texas Tech-Houston Baptist game. I can find the beauty in that. But still, it's, it's just weird to think that there's been two Power Five conferences not playing early on this season. Well, three, if you count the SEC, not until – September 26th, but I think that the Big Ten 
it's just frustrating that they didn't wait um, till, you know, say back in August 11th, whenever they made that decision to postpone, why didn't they just say, you know, we're going to table everything until October 1st and then evaluate and look at our options at that point, or maybe to this point, whatever it may be, but just wait a month. Instead, they punted on the season and they created all this just up in arms movement. And it, it just makes you feel like what was the catalyst behind them ultimately postponing? It just feels like it's not about COVID. It was about the fear maybe of players and lawsuits and the hashtag we want to play movement and players maybe wanting to be financially compensated. It just felt like there was other factors beyond COVID-19, especially with the lack of transparency that happened to the Big Ten Conference with, with Commissioner Kevin Warren. So I think it's a good thing that's coming back, but man, it's a bad look for that commissioner. I mean, how can you honestly say he's still the leader of your conference? He's been holding this job since January 1, and he's probably ruined the image of the Big Ten Conference, at least, I mean, to the likes of which we've never seen before for this conference, because they were always the model of consistency of what you, kind of the gold standard of a conference in terms of academics and athletics. That's just and been continuity. ruined. Yeah, I mean, it's just been ruined completely. And I, I feel like it's it just, they're going to have to make some tough decisions going forward. Because I always think those, those type of decisions with commissioners are notable because circling back to BYU, those, you hope and pray that maybe those commissioners that are hired have connections somehow, some way to BYU and maybe helps with scheduling and things like that. But uh, yeah, the Big Ten Conference coming back is a good thing. They just should have waited back on August 11th when they ultimately postponed and, and just tabled things for a month because it just made no sense that other parts of the country, even Cincinnati, Ohio, the Bearcats, they're playing, AAC's playing, BYU's playing, Navy's playing. I mean, it just made no sense that all these teams can play, but the Big Ten can't. Uh, it just, it, and I'm glad that the parents and these players have been very vocal and used their platforms because – they've honestly led the change. And that lawsuit from Nebraska players, I think really is what expedited this thing, plus the, the new developments and new knowledge that we have regarding COVID-19. Yeah, I didn't think that Nebraska, the Nebraska parent lawsuit was going to do anything. And then it, that was what uncovered that there may not have been an actual vote going. And that's when the media pressure really turned it up to like, come on, what the heck are you guys doing? And then well, they even called out the commissioner because the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, his son is on the team at Mississippi State. Yeah. And so and everyone's like, so you say it's not safe for us, but you are not telling your son to, like your son is not opted out. Like if you be believe that strongly, why are you not doing everything you can to, you know, tell him to not play or sit out, whatever. And so it was, that's when it really, really heated up. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see long-term what happens with the future just of, kind of the power structure overall with, you know, obviously the P5 is autonomous right now and everyone knows eventually they're going to break off and kind of do their own thing. But what is that going to look like with the Pac-12, especially if USC and Oregon, and I know there's politics going on and half the teams in the Pac-12 yeah. can't practice at all right now, but it's like, you don't see like Larry Scott's not out there campaigning for his teams to be able to practice, even though you have multiple NFL, MLB and MLS games happening in California the college football teams can't even get in a weight room together or practice. Right. Like, and it's, you know, that's, yeah. that's a problem. And so as you don't, at what point, you know, do USC and Oregon say, you know what, we're done with this. Like we have the brand, we can go be Notre Dame. Like we we're tired of holding this ship afloat. We want to go do our own thing and get 
we want to go look for out, out for our own because we didn't want to cancel it and you told us to. Like we got outvoted by Washington State and Oregon State and nobody cares about them. Yeah, and I think that this is a fascinating time with college football that I think could potentially shape realignment, honestly, Garrett. But I, I got to say, too, one thing that's been frustrating with the Big Ten uh, has been the development of Sir Yacht. And I bring that up because uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I, I think you know, Garrett. Social media has brought about uh, this insider of Big Ten returning to play knowledge, a.k.a. Sir Yacht. And I'm thinking to myself, why does Sir Yacht prove to be true, but the Tuxedo Yodas, the uh, dude of West West. Virginia's, they never proved to be true when BYU's in the midst of, you know, Big 12 realignment. But this Sir Yacht guy, he ends up being accurate every step of the way. And so we need, BYU just needs a solid insider. I just want to know who is leaking stuff to Sir Yacht. Like it doesn't, because he literally, like he was a nobody. And then it's like, how does he keep hitting on this stuff? And it's like, it's unreal. Who's telling him and how good is he at like, I mean, obviously people must not know who he is in real life because they keep leaking stuff to him, right? Or like, it's not, you know, he, I don't know. I guess maybe the the dude of West Virginia was a little too public with with who he was. And so people were like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. Or who's the other guys like MHV or three? That was another big 12 realignment guy. And then there was BYU-Utah guy during the Ty Detmer a coaching search, and then there was Black Cat Insider. There's there's just been all these weird insiders, but this Sir Yacht guy, he just falls out of nowhere and become, and he's carved out a brand now, and he's this Big Ten insider that led the movement to get Big Ten football back in the fall. It's, it's just crazy to think that Sir Yacht, he gets proven right, but BYU, their tuxedo Yodas, their versions of Sir Yacht, they never pan out to be true. Nothing good can ever happen to us, and that is proven by the Army game getting canceled this week. So yeah. what do you what do you know about the Army game? I think that hasn't been hashed out already other than a few guys on the team tested positive. Do we know, was it because of the state of New York and, like, the contract contact tracing? I'm pretty sure that's what actually, you know, was the nail in the coffin there was – you know, we couldn't just say, okay, here's the 10 people that we traced and the included in that is the three people that were positive. We're going to take the other, we got 125 guys. We'll just take the other 115, right? Like make our travel squad out of that. Like that wasn't an option based on what the legal status is currently in New York. Yeah, I, I think that that's, you hit it on the head. I mean, because the state of New York, I think is the issue here. Even Kalani Satake said this week that this game was played in Provo. I think we'd be having a, an actual football game this week. So I think, you know, the state of New York, their restrictions uh, made it very difficult. And, you know, even for myself, I was trying to get out there for the game and I was going to have to take multiple COVID tests. And it was like, okay, you're not going to have the 14 day quarantine. So you got to do this and this and this. And I'm just thinking, uh, you know, that was just for me. And and look, I was just going to be sitting in the press box, not actually playing or making any sort of contact and sweating on anyone. Um, so it, it was a, a big hurdle to climb for anyone. And it's kind of shocking, honestly, Garrett, to think that Army's played two teams, Middle Tennessee and ULM. And I'm thinking, man, BYU's got a heck of a lot more resources than than those teams. And they were able to, to navigate it and be able to be COVID-free, at least for those weeks in particular. But, you know, it, it's a bummer because BYU and Army was going to be a sweet matchup. And it was going to be a game that, 
really, I think Bill Connolly put it great. Uh, it can maybe, if you squint hard enough, had national championship implications. But, I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. But I think that it would definitely shape the national narrative the week before the SEC returns to play. Because once the SEC comes back, it's going to be all focused on the SEC. And I think everyone in college football is going to forget about everyone not named the SEC, honestly, this season. So it's just a missed opportunity that you just don't get back. And I saw you tweeted out about Marshall and who was it? that Marshall and App. Marshall and App is playing. Appalachian State, I'm thinking, oh, man, like that's just so underwhelming compared to BYU and Army. And and I know App State's got a head of a program. Yeah, but I mean, it's just BYU BYU and Army was going to be a a really good game. And I thought that, uh, you know, first time ever between the two schools and just so many unique angles here. And sadly, we're not going to see it. I'm not optimistic that it's going to get rescheduled because I feel like, as Kalani said, it's easy to do, put it on November 28th. But I mean, for whatever reason, Army's not doing that. And their AD seems to be putting it out there. Hey, we want another game. I look at it and I don't think, I'm not optimistic that this game's going to get played. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it will either. If it, I mean, maybe we hear something, you know, maybe they said, okay, we're going to try to get another game this week, but then because we want, you know, extra time to get ready for Navy, but if we can't, then, you know, we'll, we can slot you in that 1128. But I think at this point they say, okay, we've got 11 games. Everyone else is, you know, playing eight, nine, 10 games. We have 11 games without this. We're happy going through and having, you know, more time to get ready for Navy and, you know, wanting, to get things done and really is just a bummer because like you said it is a it would have been the biggest matchup really of the weekend and it was the prime slot on the afternoon it was in the headliner sec slot at the 330 eastern kick on cbs mainline national broadcast and so it would have been you know, it would have been awesome um, for both programs and would have been a fun thing that would have drawn a lot of attention but kind of thinking about this while you're mentioning i almost wonder if and I know FCS has kind of talked about having a spring season to try to capture more TV coverage, whatever. I almost wonder if that doesn't happen, if some FCS schools start or leagues start trying to say, well, maybe we start August 1st. And instead of playing our, you know, FBS money games at the beginning of our season and getting into it, that we play four or five games and then have our bye game. So that way, hopefully, you know, we get a month of, this is just us. Like FCS is the only thing going. We can maybe get some more money out of it being the only thing before other things come on. So like that's another thing that could come out of this, you know, all the whole pandemic of what shifts happen in terms of how different things approach things to try to maximize the value they can get out of their broadcast deals. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that honestly, I mean, you still saw an FCS game in what week zero get 550,000 viewers in a night slot that was competing with the NBA playoffs with the Lakers and Trailblazers. So, yeah, I think that in a regular year where August is barren with just, you know, regular season baseball, I think that's a great idea. I mean, honestly, I haven't heard that. I, I, when, I, when you said it, I'm like, that's a great idea. That would be fantastic for FCS football and I think would add some value to these programs because it has been cool to see these early weeks as college football junkies to see just these – kind of obscure teams get these national exposure windows. I mean, the Sunbelt Conference was the talk of college football last week. I mean, the Sunbelt was the the big storyline. Like, that's just kind of cool to, to see that, hey, sometimes the group of five can get some some run as well. And and I, I think that's that's fun to see for for these programs. But 
uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of changes, I think, eventually from this pandemic with college football. We're seeing the, the flaws with this sport. Uh, we don't need to have schedules eight years in advance. It can work maybe a matter of days before a game is kicked off. These games can, can be scheduled in short order, and hopefully that's one of the biggest changes that comes from college football is that we don't need to have 15 years out of scheduling agreement where it's like, okay, I'm excited to see BYU play Virginia Tech, but uh, 2032, wow, that's really good. I, I'm, I'll, I'll put that on my calendar. See you then, Hokies and the, the lunch pail. Like, come on. I mean, I just want to see these games in a quick turnaround. That's what made the Navy game so cool when it was announced. It's like, okay. We got one month till kickoff. We're going to see BYU in the midshipmen. That was cool. So uh, that's one last I didn't want to see Friday. Change. Baylor and Houston announcing a game to be played yeah. this Saturday. I mean, in the Navy or the Army AD on Sunday, looking for a game five days away, saying, "Hey, we don't care. Let's do it." <laughs> yeah, and I think that seeing that CBS game replaced with Marshall and App State, I think you know Army was trying to find a way to hold down that one thirty time slot on CBS and find anyone they could. Uh, because I think, you know, CBS was willing to hold out for their television partner with the Black Knights because they're ranked, but uh, ultimately didn't work. And that might that might shed some light potentially that, you know, Army's still going to have that opening, maybe. But like, I think you make a good point that 11 games might suffice for them and, hey, might give them an opportunity just to run the table. Because I think BYU would have been the decisive favorite over Army. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll never know. Well, I mean, we might maybe – We've kind of talked about this, and we'll get to this. We got a couple more things on their agenda here. So we did have the Louisiana Tech game added. You mentioned that for us college football junkies, this is a really fun ad, right? Because it's the teams have never played before. There's kind of the wrinkle that both Bronco Mendenhall and Gary Croton were at one point staff members at Louisiana Tech. The last time, well, they were pretty good last year. They won 10 games, but the last time they were – really, really good was in, they had like the number four offense in the country in 2012 when uh, Colby Cameron was their quarterback. So Jordan and Bryn Cameron's youngest brother, you know, who was a member of the church. So a lot of LDS ties to Louisiana Tech, right? And it's a fun game. And Jeff and I have kind of mentioned this the last couple of times that playing Tulane or Tulsa or Louisiana Tech or like that's like playing Fresno state or Nevada. Like we think of it as, Oh, this is a you know terrible conference USA team or whatever, but it's not really, it's no different than playing in New Mexico or Nevada or Fresno state. We have more affinity towards playing the teams out in West because there is some history to it there, but it's not, I mean, really it's just, it is what it is, right? Like it's, you know, it's a game, it's against a respectable opponent. I would say Louisiana tech as a program is probably pretty similar to Utah State, where every, you know, maybe once a decade, they get a really good offense, a good group of seniors that's together and click, they go out and win 10 games. But most years, they're an all right team that are going to give some competitive run to whatever big team they're playing. They will never be like, they'll never be blown out in that big game. They get up, you know, and always threaten the big teams, but they never seem to pull off the huge upset. I, th- I completely agree. And I think that Louisiana Tech is is a program too that uh, they'll have some good athletes and they'll have good players on the skill positions. And that's always one of the challenges when you're facing teams from the group of five. I mean, more times than not, these schools get a lot of second chance guys and maybe were once power five recruits and they maybe go to that transfer portal and end up in a school that has a wide opening at, at the depth chart and they step into that school and become some of the stars of those programs. So I think that it's a good matchup and, 
look, we've seen BYU struggle with these type of teams. You know, this is where Kalani Satake has to take care of business is with these type of programs. And that's what's so interesting about this schedule this year is that this is for the people that want to see an easier slate as an independent. Uh, you're getting a really intriguing experiment this year with this schedule because how much better is BYU than the group of five run-of-the-mill programs that we that you know BYU feels is far and away better than early returns suggest they're much better uh, with the, what, the way they played against Navy. But uh, I, I think that Louisiana Tech will be a tough team, and I think that'll be a competitive football game. I mean, Skip Holtz has had some good coaching stops in in this sport over the years, and he'll have a good program. So I think that it's a good ad. And I think that also I just like seeing BYU play programs that they've never played before. I mean, it's getting to the point where BYU might eventually Garrett have played every single college football program in the country. I mean, they are knocking out all these programs that they've never faced before. I mean, that to me is really cool seeing this program play programs that they've never seen before. Do you know how many are left? Because so of the nine games that have been scheduled, or I guess we won't count North Alabama. So of the eight FBS games that had been on the schedule this year, Navy and Houston were the only ones that you know we had actually played before. So we had five new opponents and then swapped Army for Louisiana Tech, who we also had never played either of them before. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm counting here. I got a graphic here on my Instagram with all the logos. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, I think it's a rough count. It's like a 42. This is before all the games this year end up getting played. I have to double check, but it dips into the 30s after this season. So if BYU can play the UTSAs, the Texas States, the Troys, if all those games, COVID uh, stays at bay and BYU is allowed to play them, uh, they're going to knock off a lot of games. There's still some good power five programs that BYU's never played, like Clemson. Kind of weird that BYU's never played Clemson. Uh, in my opinion, I know that back in 2011, BYU tried to get a deal with them for a one-off game. That was one of the one-and-dones to go to Death Valley, but that never transpired early on in Independence. And Arkansas, Auburn, Auburn was a team back in 2009. BYU was trying to get in that Jerry's World game, but then it ended up being Oklahoma, which was much better because they were number three in the country and it became one of the, the best wins in program history. I would love to see BYU play eventually one day Northwestern. And that was a program that I know Bronco always talked about. It was the military academies and Northwestern for whatever reason. I'd love to see it. And Duke and Stanford. Those were his, because they (laughs) were all about everything off the field, the discipline and the (laughs) academics. (laughs) That's so true. But uh, yeah, there's still some good ones out there. And BYU is, is knocking them down. Florida, obviously that would be sweet to see BYU one day in the swamp. I think Bronco one time did mention them by name at a media day. Maybe think you thought, oh, he's always going to play Florida soon. But, uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I love about independence, just the, the novelty that Cougar fans get. I mean, there was never a reason in my life to travel to Annapolis, Maryland. But I actually went out there, and it was one of the coolest towns I think I've ever been to in my life. Uh, I get to travel the country because of BYU football, or else I would never go to these places, to be quite honest, because I'm not one of those guys that vacations and just, like, I, can, I can't see the – can't get inspired by – trailheads and so it's like I gotta have a football game to go to these places and BYU football accommodates that nicely so what was that like being there so in the press box how did they have you set up like were you actually in the press box or did they have you in the stands spread out from each other yeah we were in the press box so there was 30 media members total 
included like Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who's got BYU now number six in his poll. He was there. I'm trying to think of some other national people that that might have been there. I think he was the main one, of course, the ESPN crew. Uh, but there was 30 people total, Navy SIDs included, Navy media members, then a few BYU media members. It was me, Jay Drew, Spencer Linton from BYU TV, and then there was also a, a reporter from Church News. Gosh, I'm trying to think of his name. It was Swenson. I think his, his daughter goes to BYU, Carla Swenson, and then his son goes to Navy. So there was kind of a familial tie there, but only 30 of us in the press box and we were all spaced out, which was kind of nice. Got one seat on the sides of us with some space and had working arrangements, uh, plugs, all the necessary uh, essentials to cover a football game in the press box and all the food was prepackaged. And they had an individual, a woman at the, the refrigerator stacked with Pepsi products, a so Mountain Dew. That was a, a BYU fan's dream, I think, at getting the Mountain Dew at a BYU football game. But she was the one, only one opening the fridge, and we'd say, can I get a water? Can I get a Mount Dew? She'd then open the fridge. But outside of that, though, it was pretty, pretty normal. Just It was weird walking around the stadium and pregame and hearing nothing. Like, that was just so odd because usually you hear the kind of like the, the buzz and the concourse at Lavelle Edwards Stadium or just walking the field a little bit and hearing the, the students congregate and getting a little bit excited and it just nothing. It was so strange to hear literally – a pin drop. And then when the players started to trickle in and they had their headphones on and I think they didn't really realize how quiet it was, but it was strange. I cannot deny it. It was, it was an unusual feeling and I hope that it's not normal because I want to see fans back. Uh, fans bring us a, a special element that just can't be measured uh, at games. Cause I feel like that's one thing that's hurting sports right now, Garrett, I think is that you're not seeing like the, the reach after a game concludes, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, you're not seeing that extended shelf life where fans are still engaging in that game because fans are not sharing anything on social media. Because usually after a great game, like a BYU win, you're like seeing everyone's IG, you're seeing everyone's Twitter, Facebook, you just love it. You consume all of it. It's just fun to relive. That's not there. And it kind of just makes the, the game happen. You record it, sure, but it just doesn't have that long kind of experience that carries throughout a weekend that uh, with all the content and video. So hopefully that's one thing I want to see change very soon with this pandemic. And it'll be good to have BYU fans, uh, at least some in, in the stadium coming up on September 26th, but uh, yeah, unique experience that I'll never forget. One thing I want to point out is just, this is completely aside. And I agree with you that I saw somebody when BYU announced their plan for 6,000 tickets, I saw somebody on the Twitter machine talk about how it was ridiculous that there were going to be any fans in the stadium amid a pandemic and how it wasn't safe. It's like, okay, it's a 65,000 seat stadium. You're having less than 10% of the people there. And even you're having, you know, coaches event, like staff players are all part of that as well. So it's even less than 6,000 and, you know, going to be completely spread out outside, whatever, like there's with that number of people spread out, there's like zero risk. But then later on in the same thread, this person mentioned that they were getting on an airplane in two weeks to go to Vegas for a vacation. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the hypocrisy of COVID-19. Uh, I, I, I tell people all the time, I tell people all the time, I would love to deal with BYU Utah Twitter any day of the week over COVID-19 Twitter, please. Like, give me rivalry Twitter, give me Mighty Alaskan Ute, give me Bunutu, give me these typical Ute fans that are always just 
bombarding BYU fans' mentions. Give me that all day, every day before COVID-19, Doc, because I can't decipher it. I mean, I was saying on Cougar Tracks, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard it or anything, but it's like we're seeing some tweets and stories out there about, you know, some individuals that have worked with vaccines, and they're saying, hey, to realistically, you're not going to see a vaccine till 2024 to get to everyone in the entire world. I mean, it's just it's frustrating. At what point do we say, are we going to go forward with our lives? We want to do it safe. Like I'm down with wearing a mask. I'm cool with that. And I went to Utah County today uh, to cover Jake Walleen's commitment. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I go to a gas station and it's like, there were seven people in the gas station and I was the only one wearing a mask. And I forgot to myself, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have to wear one down here in Utah County, but literally no one in Utah County is wearing one. And I'm not anti a go ahead and make your own decisions. But if I'm literally getting told, if we wear this mask, it'll slow everything down. We'll get to some normalcy very soon. I'm willing to do that. But the problem is, is that we're not really told the timeline when we'll truly have this end date. Like I think if people were told, hey, we wear a mask every single day, we'll be set free in November 1st. We'll be ready to go to have normal life and be back to the green phase. But I feel like everyone's just like, you know what? This will never end. We're going to live with this our whole lives. Let's throw our hands up and we'll move things forward. I don't know. I don't have the right answers for it. If I did, I'd be a billionaire right now and we wouldn't be on this podcast and we'd be enjoying the high life. But uh, this COVID-19 stuff has definitely been frustrating, no doubt. So, you know, we, it really is frustrating. And I think that really does for many of our listeners, put it into perspective when you say you would rather deal with rivalry Twitter than COVID Twitter. Yes. That's like, what are you up there? I, I mean, I think so too. I've muted a lot of things. So it's, I've, I've just muted or blocked a lot of, a lot of the rivalry Twitter, like, uh, culprits, I guess is the good word (laughs) of that, you know, are always stoking the fire. I always enjoy Vakaviti though. Vakaviti always cracks me up. (laughs) Well, he, he's just always trying to get people riled up. Like it's, you know, but some people it, it is legitimate. I was actually, I was, um, texting uh, with some of the people from the Utah 24-7 site and we were kind of talking today and brought up and it was you know they mentioned so you know one of them mentioned it was like you know just kind of sadly we're talking about the Pac-12 and they're like really like it's just outside of Utah nobody cares about Utah football right like there's not the national clout right like it's not going to move things the way Justin Fields coming out and saying hey we want to play and it's like oh shoot then quarterback in Ohio State and the Trevor Lawrence at Clemson like they said they want to play football like okay it's going to get played now right like it's just it doesn't have that clout and then so I replied I was like you know it's okay because the only people that care about BYU football are BYU fans and Utah fans <laughs> <laughs> it's so true and sadly so and, then true. There's, and then there's nobody that cares about Utah State football like yeah yeah I don't, I don't I don't see money I mean I see it firsthand at a, at a news organization I mean Literally, BYU articles, they're going to get BYU, Utah, and Utah State. And at 24-7, it's the same way. I mean, when there's a positive story about, you know, a, a recruit or an athlete or just a positive stat, uh, you're going to get all three fan bases pouncing. But it, for BYU fans, they're not wired to look and check in on Utah. They're just not. I, I try to explain that to Utah fans. They are just – they are not wired that way. I mean, I saw it firsthand – working with Bill Riley, the voice of the youths on his radio show. And I'm telling you, BYU fans, they told me like, like, you know, Bill's good, you know, does a good job. But I mean, I'm not listening to that show. Like, it's just BYU fans do not 
they do not want Utah content. They don't need it. They don't care about it, whatever. But BYU content, they will consume in mass amounts. Whereas Utah fans, they want to consume Utah to an extent, but then also hate on BYU. And it, look, they'll, they'll, they'll say to the high heavens that that's not true, but there's a reason that these media outlets have the coverage that they do for some teams like BYU. It's different for Utah. Just BYU is a unique animal that's uh, unlike anything else. It's, it's truly remarkable with the results that BYU football has had the last nine, 10 years, which has been, just been average. Like you've seen it firsthand and the still the passion, the excitement of Cougar nation. It's, it's unreal. Like, it's just amazing. It doesn't compute. Honestly, it's like, <laughs> the interest level of this program should not be what it is for the product that they've been receiving. Now, hopefully this year is a different conversation. It matches the excitement of this fan base, but uh, it's remarkable. I mean, every media outlet in this state, they, they understand it. They know that BYU brings in all three fan bases. And if you want to get a broad audience, you write, talk, you read, you publish about BYU sports. Well, and it's not even just, local media like even some national writers like oh yeah Stuart mandel has commented <laughs> on it and it's he's the biggest one of noticing it because he's thrown stuff to roll out and i've seen him reply to other national writers when they say something about byu and like there was someone who was like said something about byu and Stuart mandel replied to him was like oh prepare to have your mentions destroyed by utah fans <laughs> or whatever you know it's <laughs> it is it's noticed by even national people as well yeah. so it's not i mean they don't like Sorry, Stuart Mandel, Brett McMurphy, they do not care one bit about either program. So if they notice it, then <laughs> that's about it's as so part, true. That's about as third party as you can get. Yeah, it's it's true. And I think hopefully though, you know, BYU football has the success that Utah football has experienced in recent years. Because I think uh, I think a lot of Cougar fans would trade in some of the maybe the the their you know, just to get the the production that Utah football has had. So Hopefully they get. I, I do think Utah fans fan base is growing to an extent, but I think that uh, BYU fans are always going to have a, a a big role in uh, in coverage in the state and and just nationally. They're gonna they're a unique entity, like we said earlier. It really is. Um, you mentioned going down to Utah County for Jake Wallen's commit. Um, so that's kind of last thing we have on the agenda for tonight. Is so. What do you think about his game, and what is your reminder of him? What do you think he brings to the basketball program? Yeah, Jake Walene is a is an interesting prospect. Uh, six foot eight, about almost six foot nine, and and you know what makes him intriguing, I think Garrett is the fact that he could play maybe the point guard spot for Mark Pope. I mean, that's how Pope envisions using him because I think as a three or a four, he's just kind of your typical you know maybe prospect. But you make him a guard, a two guard or a point guard at six foot eight, six nine, that is a mismatch uh, waiting to happen for any team that you face especially the West coast conference. I think it's a good addition. You know, he was someone that had offers from Utah state, Arizona state. And some of those were due to familial connections, Arizona state. He's a legacy kid is his grandpa was a quote, an outstanding sun devil back from his playing days in the 1950s as a halfback uh, at Arizona state. So there's a, a long lineage of Wallines there at ASU, but then Utah state, he formed a close relationship with Craig Smith. And then also Nevada, San Diego State. He got a little bit of interest from Louisville as well. Uh, not an offer from, from the Cardinals, but interest in letters, some, some calls and stuff and texts. Uh, but I, I think that this would be a prospect, uh, Garrett, that if we had a typical recruiting circuit that, uh, you know, 
where the pandemic was not impacting AAU ball. You can see him with a lot longer offer sheet. So I think it's a good addition for, for BYU. And BYU is fortunate to get him because they just barely offered him a week ago. But I think the, the vision of having him potentially as a two-guard or a point guard really makes him an intriguing prospect after he comes home from mission. So I think that, you know, Jerry's still out. He's not, I think, a, a polished product where you look at him and go, okay, day one, he comes in, instant starter, instant contributor. Because that's how I look at a guy like Caleb Lohner. I think Lohner is going to be a starter this year for this BYU basketball program. But I think that uh, Waleen is someone that developed in a coach with a coaching staff like this one that gets the most out of every guy. Uh, I think he'll become a nice player at BYU. So I, I just love the recruiting that Mark Pope and his program have done since they took over. And BYU is basketball has always had a lot of success in in-state recruiting dating back with Dave Rose and even farther back with Steve Cleveland, but it's really ramped up uh, with Mark Pope and where you're getting guys that, have great measurables and they got this unique athleticism. Like a guy like Trey Stewart is coming back from the mission next year. He's going to be an explosive guy off the guard line. I just, the personnel for BYU hoops, it's in good shape. And you know too, that Pope and this staff will do everything they can to always reload with grad transfers. So UE basketball is in good hands and they're going to be really good. When you got the seal of approval uh, on the Waleen commitment from Yoli Childs, I think there's nothing more to be said. I mean, I, I think that's the, that's a, that's as good of a, a vote of approval as you're going to get uh, from a BYU basketball player. Yeah, I think when you watch his film, it's like his height, his weight, his build, even kind of just like a little bit the way he looks, he reminds me of Lee Kamart. Like the way he plays, yeah. his frame. Like if you showed me that tape and said, oh, this is Lee Kamart from when he was in high school, I'd be like, oh, like I wouldn't – they look identical to me. And like the way they play, he doesn't have the outside shot that – you know, Caleb Lohner has, um, you know, he plays more towards the basket, but, you know, it really, I think my favorite part about this was that in the graphic that was put together for him, you know, it was like Jake Wallen forward, Timview High School committed to, and they didn't put like committed to BYU. It's like, it said BYU, Brigham Young basketball down the side or whatever. But the big thing that Mark Pope was pushing is the best locker room in America. And I, I love that. Like I was, you know, talking to some friends about it today that like, you know, I just, I love, that they're pushing that and saying like, no, it's like, you're not coming into the program or whatever, or like the gym or the facilities. It's like, you're coming into the best locker room. Like that is the, you know, facilities. Cool. Yes. The annex is very nice. One of the best basketball facilities in the country, whatever, but it's still, it's like the annex is all nice, but it's like, you're coming into the locker room. You're coming in with us. Like this is, you know, this is our group, you know, whatever. And I, I kind of just love that. Um, love that mentality or that attitude about it. And like you said, I think the basketball program is in great hands as long as this staff is here and everything that they're doing to do data driven, you know, trying to push and get every ounce that they can out of every player, but then focusing on building a team with a good locker room who, where the players, you know, are buying in and the players are going to hold each other accountable. Cause that's when that's great teams come from player leadership. Like you can't coach the player leadership. It has to come from someone buying in and stepping up and saying, Hey, this is how we're doing things around here. Yeah, I think that you make a good point about the player leadership because that was something I wanted to mention. I mean, I was talking with Chris Burgess last week, and he he told me, you know, because I said, how are you going to be able to follow up losing six seniors from last year to still create this best locker room in America that they're talking about? They got a plaster all over their T-shirts and in the practice, and they they truly have branding. They're embracing that mantra. But uh, Chris Burgess made it clear that guys like Matt Harms, they're becoming leaders right away. They bought in completely 
to what BYU and Pope is putting down about this program. So uh, that's got to be a positive sign, uh, you know, that Matt Harms is becoming a leader already. And Alex Barcel, he's going to be a star of this program. I, I, I'm so excited to see what he can do when, you know, plays are actually drawn up for him uh, on the offensive end because defensively, we know he's one of the top players in the program, but offensively, he's going to be a focal point of what BYU does. And, you know, Burgess also mentioned, too, how Brandon Averett and Barcelo, that's probably going to be your backcourt, and they feel very confident that could work because I know there's been a little bit of concerns about, uh, you know, that smaller backcourt. You go up against Gonzaga, who is big. They got huge guys from point guard from the one to the five, uh, but they love the speed and explosiveness at that out of that guard line. And that's why down the road, when you do get Waleen into the program, he brings just a little bit different element in terms of his size on that guard line. But yeah, I, I just feel like BYU basketball, Garrett, is in a spot where they feel big time. And I, I don't know how to describe that. It feels like it's just kind of a an opinion right now, and they need more tangible data because we're, we're saying they're big time, and yet Mark Pope's never coached an NCAA tournament game yet. But it just feels like the way they operate, the way they execute on recruiting. I mean, Mark Pope said it back in March. We're going to be the best Zoom teleconference team in America. And, but I feel like they did a really good job at that. I mean, the way they assembled this recruiting class from where it was to what it is now for 2020, and then you look ahead to 2021, man, they are just doing a bang-up job with recruiting and identifying guys and getting their targets and getting them into the program. I mean, how many guys did they actually miss on? Uh, I mean – they are not getting many no's. They had a few guys in the grad transfer market turn them down. But, I mean, they got one of the best ones in Matt Harms. They got Brandon Avery, who was the perfect fit. So, again, I just – I really like what's happening with this program. And I think that I, the sky is the limit. And I think that, you know, with football, I feel like there is a little bit of a ceiling that I feel as it's eight to nine wins every year on a normal year. Um, but maybe they can exceed that with Kalani. But I know, I believe that, you know, Mark Pope in this program, they can get to a Final Four. And I don't think I've ever believed that for BYU basketball until this staff arrived on campus and the results they produced last year and the way they did it with a roster that I thought was probably a 20-win team at best. And it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. And I think Cougar fans should be really excited about the direction of BYU basketball. And Jake Walleen is the latest uh, example of why they should be excited for BYU hoops going forward. I agree. And I'm so excited about the future of the basketball program. Um, and it's, I, I like what you said about how it's just an opinion now because there's one game, but yep. you could just see how it went from, I mean, things were looking pretty dire last off season when it was like, okay, Yoli's gone. We don't really have anyone like we got to have Connor Harding and Dallin Baxter, like stepping up to believe TJ Taz. That's our three best players. Like we have no depth, whatever. And he, you know, goes out, gets Barcelo, gets Yoli to come back, puts a squad together. Baxter is hurt for half the season or Gavin Baxter is, you know, hurt for half the season. And then he goes out and even recruiting, you know, already had Richie Saunders went out and get Dallin Hall. That's what I meant. Uh, Gavin Baxter goes out and gets Dallin Hall, flips Caleb Lohner, you know, gets Trey Stewart coming back off a mission. Now adds Jacob Wallin. Like it's the length and athleticism that he's adding is it's very targeted and saying, okay, this is kind of what we need for our system. This is what we're going to do. We want people who will buy in. And I think the program is in very good hands, but I, I just wonder like, how does Tempview high school keep churning out so many athletes? Like it's so surprising to me. It's like, we have obviously the number of football players that we've gotten out of Tempview basically since they opened has been nonstop, but you know, even like 
Richie Saunders was no slouch of a prospect. We got, uh, you know, Jacob Wallin coming out now. They got Carson Ryan as, you know, the tight end prospect, big time, big time. You know, with Logan Fundo, Raider Dooney. I don't know how Timview does it, but they keep churning them out. It, it proves, too, that if you can do work and, and kind of rope off even Utah County, because the strength of high school sports in Utah is in Utah County, you can get the top guys there. You're going to have a good basketball program. You're going to have a good football program as well. Because I think also, too, the reason I think the high school sports is so good and the athletes are coming out of this area are so good is because the investment financially is there. Uh, you're seeing a lot of successful people in Utah County, business-minded entrepreneurs. They got money. Uh, they're willing to invest in their kids. And it's paying off. And coaching is a lot better in high school football and sports and basketball than I've ever seen it since kind of following high school sports here in the state of Utah. And it's just a good product and it's getting better every single year. And that's why getting in state recruits, I know it's not the most fancy thing on, on earth because you see Kent View kid going to BYU. Well, no brainer. That should have happened. But again, it's, it's, this kid had op- options. We're talking about Jake Wallin and there's so many kids, as you just mentioned, they've got tons of options. If you can get those guys to BYU Man, you're going to have depth. You're going to have uh, strength in numbers, and I think you're going to have also a perception locally and in the valley when people are talking about BYU a lot more at the water cooler and in their everyday walks of life. It'll be a positive uh, commentary about BYU sports because once upon a time it just wasn't. It was trending in the wrong direction. But I think both Pope and Kalani are doing really good things to really change the image of BYU sports on uh, the big, you know, money getting money driving sports. They're really changing the narrative. I think BYU is turning a corner in recruiting for both sports. I hope so. Um, you know, we had a good episode tonight. Thanks for hopping on short notice. And uh, do you have anything else you want to add or share with all of our dedicated listeners? I, I could I could go on all night, Garrett. I mean, I, I feel like it's my wife always tells me and tells people that, that talk to me. They're like, she's like, be warned if you talk to Mitch about BYU sports it could go on and on and on and on for three four hours like you talked about it how you're at a restaurant and the the place got shut down like that's just what we could do like I'm, I'm blown away that this has been what like an hour show it's been crazy it's time has just flown by but I appreciate you Garrett and everything that you've done uh here on on uh, on the podcast give them hell and I think that this is a uh podcast that Cougar fans really uh, enjoy with the type of content coverage. I wish I brought more barbecue scene this week to, to help out in that regard. Cause I know Jeff is a barbecue master barbecue Jedi in that regard, but uh, I appreciate you and everything that you do for Cougar nation out there and uh, pleasure to be on with you on this, on this fine evening and talk to BYU sports. That's always a good time. Give them hell this week. 